0: Wherever I go, there I am. My guest today is going to talk with you about how little T trauma is affecting your health at midlife. She used to deliver babies, but now she delivers exceptional wellness for women. Welcome to her Brilliant Health Radio, where holistic women's health expert and board certified OBGYN Dr. Kieran Dunstan shares revolutionary insight from leading experts on what you need to know today to treat the root cause of disease, heal, and create the radiant health you've been searching for. Lean in and get ready to experience the bountiful, blissful, and beautiful vitality that you deserve. Everybody and welcome back to another episode of Her Brilliant Health Revolution. I'm your host, Dr. Kieran, and excited to dive into today's topic because it's a topic that's near and dear to my heart. If you don't know about this as a concern for healing your physical body, then you really wanna listen up because if you miss this, you probably will miss what's possible for you on a physical level. So I'm gonna tell you about our guest today and then we'll get started. Her name is Dr. Amy Apigian, and she specializes in helping people overcome the effects that negative psychological life experiences have on their physical health. She understands that the missing link preventing people from healing physically arises from adverse emotional events. As the founder and CEO of Trauma Healing Accelerated and the Biology of Trauma Coach Training Program, she helps lay people and experts alike truly understand this missing link and how to properly address it to allow healing to occur. Welcome, Amy.
1: Thank you so much, Dr. Kieran. I'm so excited to be here with you. This is such an important topic. And like you say, it's not always obvious and it's not always known. So I'm loving that we get to bring this to your audience today.
0: Me too. It's one of my favorite topics. So let's dive in. I know some people, first thing, I always try to put on the thoughts of what people listening who don't know about this are thinking. They're thinking... Um, I have to heal my emotions to heal my physical body. Like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Prove that, prove it. That's what they're thinking.
1: Well, and so much of this, sometimes people see as woo-woo, you know, like, oh yeah, like I know about that mind-body stuff. I know that my thoughts influence my health or that my emotions influence my health. But as we're gonna see, Dr. Kieran, it goes so much deeper than that, so much deeper than that. The nervous system where trauma gets stored drives every aspect of our physical health because it drives our immune system, it drives our hormones, it drives our digestive system, it drives our brain chemistry, it drives our cardiovascular system. So literally, the driver for every aspect of our health comes down to this stored trauma, stored life experiences, stored stuff that we carry, and we either aren't aware of it or we've been ignoring it, distracting ourselves, keeping ourselves busy, all this kind of stuff that uh, it finally catches up with us.
0: Yes, and one of the studies I love to quote is the Adverse Childhood Events Study that actually documented these findings. And I think that's really, for me, the most salient kind of literature and
1: research that proves to people, see, look, do you want to talk a little bit about that? I would love to, and this is a great place to start because it clearly starts to establish this relationship between the experiences that you have in childhood, influence your health, but in health outcomes that don't show up until adulthood. And so there's this period of time where... Things are going on underneath the surface that you are unaware of, and then they pop up in your 30s, in your 40s, in your 50s, and it shows up as weight problems. It shows up as immune, autoimmune. It starts to show up as cardiovascular problems, cancer, right? And because they're so disconnected in terms of time frame we have not always made that association and we've generally looked at you know oh your genetics you have a genetic tendency for these kinds of stuff because you have a family history of it well possibly but what if also that family history was because of the family dynamics the family relationships and how that actually established your nervous system and your basic feeling of insecurity in life or security in life, whether you are at baseline confident in the support that you have, knowing that you are always good enough and always enough, or is your baseline questioning that? Am I good enough? Am I enough? Am I lovable? Am I worthy of even happiness? And just those are really great breakdowns to look at. This is what comes out of that adverse childhood experiences is that those childhood experiences and the, the baseline programming that happens in the nervous system drives our health outcomes in adulthood. And I don't want people to think that, well, I take the adverse childhood experiences quiz and I don't have a high score, so that must not be me. This is where... Again, the Adverse Childhood Experiences is a great place to start this conversation. And then let's go deeper because the Adverse Childhood Experiences really is only looking at big T traumas, right? Like, were, did you experience a divorce in your family, a big separation, an abandonment? W- were there alcohol or drugs around? These would be considered big T traumas. And yet most of us have these patterns wired into our nervous system but don't have these big T traumas to look back on. And so that was my experience. I actually adopted my son from the foster care system. So clearly, clearly, Dr. Kieran, clearly someone who has had a number of adverse childhood experiences. By the time he came to me by age four, he had already been in 23 different placements. So a lot of of stress, a lot of trauma. And yet when I experienced my health crash, which for me happened about around the age 30, when I was in general surgery residency, could my body finally gave up, (laughs) right? Couldn't sustain that. The physical conditions, the physical symptoms that I was having, being overweight, being anxious, being depressed. And then I went and got my labs checked, and there was not a ton of stuff off, but some stuff off. And autoimmune markers were high, chronic fatigue. And I'm thinking like, wait a second, this is all stuff that as a medical doctor... I know is associated with adverse childhood experiences, and yet my score on average childhood experiences is like a zero, a one, very low. So why do I have this? If this were my son, absolutely, I totally get it, I understand, but why would I? Why would I have these same physical symptoms and health conditions that are associated with these adverse childhood experiences not having big T traumas? And what what is the answer? The answer really comes down to the attachment, right? And those dynamics in our relationships, in the family relationship, in the home, in the school, the earlier those patterns get established are the ones that really get wired into our programming. So many people don't realize that the attachment styles, and there's four different attachment styles, and you can identify yourself as either being the healthy, secure attachment, you know, the one that we talked about where you have this baseline feeling of security, safety and security. That's a very small percentage of our society now that has that at baseline, more than 80% of our society has an insecure attachment style, which most of them would fall under avoidant or anxious. It really doesn't matter though, because if we have any of those insecure attachment styles, that is actually wired into our nervous system, our survival programming that runs our computer, right? And that's established by age 12 months of life. So, Dr. Kieran, like this is really pre verbal stuff that we don't really, I think, put as much value on because we don't remember it. We don't have any conscious memory of that age. And yet, it's those dynamics. And what they have found in the studies coming out of John Bowlby, who was, of course, the father of attachment theory, they found that the mother's nervous system, so her attachment style, Her basic insecurities came out in all of her nonverbal communication with her child. So the eye contact the amount of touch that she provided, whether she would be overwhelmed by her child's needs or if she would be needing her child to actually regulate her own emotions and would be going to her child, her infant, for that emotional comfort or that company. These are all things that we would never consider big T traumas and yet would be enough to create this insecure attachment, gets wired into the developing nervous system and becomes the driver for all the physical health symptoms and conditions associated with the adverse childhood experiences. Okay.
0: So let me back up a second because I just want to fill in a little blanks I think some people might be having right now. So the ACE study, Adverse Childhood Experience, ACE, was done a few years ago at Kaiser in California and they looked at like Dr. Amy saying big T traumas did was someone in your house divorced or in jail or they're drugs so big T traumas you can find this quiz anywhere online and take it and score it for yourself but what she's saying is that it's more than these big T traumas that it's so also little T traumas that are related to your attachment to your primary caregivers mother and father for most of us and And was that attachment a secure attachment where you knew your needs were going to be met and you were cared for and worthy of being cared for, or there was some disruption in that attachment and that this occurs before 12 months of age? So I just want to bring everyone up to speed. And this is really groundbreaking. And if you're not getting that, you really need to pay attention because without this piece for your physical health, you're probably not going to ever lose the weight, have the energy that you want, heal from that autoimmune disease. So, all right, so now we're all up to speed, but I want you to make the connection for everyone about how relational attachment trauma, little t trauma, translates into physical health problems. What's the bridge there?
1: Yes, And this is where I love to break it down to even like an individual nerve cell, because that helps my brain wrap my head around something that I can understand rather than speaking like in these vague terms of, well, you know, the the nervous system, Dr. Kieran, the the nervous system. (laughs) Right, right. right. (laughs) No, 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 no. Let's break it down to an individual cell and what's going on on that cellular level. Every cell in our entire body has a connection with the nervous system. And the nervous system in its big picture form, its role in our life is to keep us safe, is to protect us, is to help us survive. And so anything in our life that feels like it may be a threat or a danger to our survival, that's where the nervous system really steps in and shines. And it does amazing things survive things that we may never have thought that we could survive. What happens is that when the nervous system is now programmed for survival because it has not felt safe since, childhood, it did not feel safe to be itself. It did not feel safe to express its emotions. It did not feel safe. It did not feel wanted. It did not feel like it belonged. It felt like it was maybe too much for their parents or maybe not enough. They weren't good enough. Whatever it is, then the the nervous system is constantly in survival mode, constantly assessing, what do I need to do in this situation to survive, to fit in, to to make it through this, it's very unusual for it to kind of land in that parasympathetic state where it feels feels calm, it feels secure, it feels safe. And that's where the creativity flows. That's where there's joy. And so when the nervous system then is constantly in this insecure state, anxious state, overwhelmed state, even sometimes, there's a big spectrum of, you know, feeling insecure and anxious to overwhelmed. And we can talk about the differences between that, if you like. But when it is programmed for that, it communicates with every single cell in our body, hey, there's danger and we need to be on guard. And so you can't relax. I don't want you to really let your guard down. And so it's always revving the engines for our cells to be on guard for them to be in that survival state all the time. And so it causes these chronic changes in our biology on a cellular level. Our cells are using up more things like magnesium. They're using up more things like zinc. They're using up all these things in order to maintain that higher state of being on guard, hypervigilance, hypervigilance, yes. So all of these things that we experience on maybe an emotional level or a thought level is actually what we're experiencing on a cellular level. And so what happens is that over time, the body can't maintain that. That's a really high energy state to maintain. And so what happens is that the body then starts to decompensate because it's not able to maintain that. And that's where we can start going into overwhelm And some of the physical health conditions that are associated with overwhelm on a cellular level where it no longer has the energy, it no longer has the magnesium, it no longer has these nutrients that it needs to maintain that higher energy hypervigilant state, then we start going into the fatigue, we start going into the depression, we start going into the chronic pain, the fibromyalgia, the autoimmune All of those are very closely associated with the freeze response, a chronic functional freeze where you're just now going through life just to get through, just to get by, because you don't have that aliveness, you don't have those resources, you don't have the resilience on the cellular level. You've burned through all of that because of years of living in a state of feeling insecure.
0: Great. So can we be a little more specific about just generally nervous system? You're talking about the stress response system, right? And kind yes. of what's involved here. Yeah. So
1: actually, that's a great question because there's the stress response system and then there's the survival response system. Okay. And so a stress response system is where you have that initial adrenaline and then after that you have the cortisol and the stress is always associated with the sympathetic state, which is the high energy state. There's more of the anxiety feeling. There is more of that. The thoughts are like the hamster on the wheel where it's racing and being like, okay, what do I need to do? What do I need to do in order to either get through this or meet a deadline or you know, the relationship is falling apart or maybe they don't like me, whatever it is. But there's that more anxiety high stress state Mm -hmm. so that's the stress response and there are health consequences to that as well and then we reach the point where there's overwhelm and overwhelm happens for two reasons and this is going to be again kind of reflective of the emotional level that we experience consciously but then also on a cellular level so overwhelm happens for two reasons one is because there's been too much thrown at you too fast so this is where people can remember times in their life where it's just one thing after another happened and it just like, whoa, was too much, Med right? School. Med school, <laughs> right? And especially if you were in medical school and then maybe there was a death in the family or there was, you know, you broke up with your boyfriend or, you know, something else where it's just like, whoa, this is way too much for me to process. And our body on a cellular level goes into overwhelm and this shutdown and collapse, The other reason for overwhelm is that we've had too little, too little support, too little resources, too little. We've had to go living off of too little for too long, and it just depletes our nutrients. It depletes our level of resilience, and so our body will go into this collapse and this chronic freeze state with that. So there's the stress response that is the high energy, right? I'm going to still throw everything at this. I'm going to go lift that car to, you know, get the child out from underneath. It's a it's a stress response. But mm-hmm. then there's this switch that happens. There's that line of overwhelm that I talk about where it's either too much and you can't meet that threat and your body goes into overwhelm and it goes into this cellular collapse, a very low energy state. You're actually now, your body has decided that the best way for you to survive is to try to conserve your energy, not use up your energy. So, even on an emotional level, it can feel like I don't care anymore. Many people, I also work in the addiction medicine field, and this is really key for those people coming off of substances as well. And they describe, you know, this state that they go into where it's like, I don't give a fuck anymore. Mm -hmm. I don't have the energy to care. I don't have the energy to care what happens to me. I don't have the energy to care what you think about me. I don't care anymore. And that is the key sentiment behind this survival response and the overwhelm, the collapse, this chronic freeze state that really has the most detrimental and long-term consequences on our health.
0: Got it. Okay. And, you know, I work with women at Midlife and I can't tell you how many of them, most of them (laughs) are in that, over hyper vigilant go do state I mean when I do the zoom calls they're all sitting up in front of the camera right up there like and what do I do about this and what do I and they want to know what's the supplement I need to take to stop me from feeling this way right now I want to know I want to decide you know and it's like oh you need to breathe and you need to nurture yourself and love yourself and they're like what I don't have time for this (laughs) I don't want to love myself what does love yourself mean anyway and it's just and I was that way so I'm not Pointing the finger at them. I'm like, this was me just over 10 years ago. I was exactly that person, not realizing that the way I was living my life was exactly the reason why I was obese, had chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, you know, gut dysfunction, and all the things. Why is this?
1: So important for women at midlife. Why is it vital? Because at midlife, their body is at the point where it cannot sustain this anymore. And I think that that's why they are so hyper vigilant is because they feel that. They feel themselves starting to lose control of their health. They're starting to feel that I can't maintain this. Like, I need change now. I need answers now because I feel myself going into that state where, Things feel like I'm losing my health. I'm losing, not that I've had great health, but the health that I have had, I'm now losing even that. And I don't want that to happen, right? Like I don't want to have the rest of my life be in this low energy state, in this chronic pain, in this autoimmune stuff. This is not how life is supposed to go. And this is not who I want to be in life. And so they're at a critical point in their life where, If they don't make these changes to their nervous system and that internal programming, it's going to continue to play out in their life. And they're not going to be able to get better with their physical health. They're not, because on a cellular level, the message still is you're in survival mode. So many people tell me, hey, like I do the yoga, I do the meditation, I may not even like it, but I do it because they tell me it's good for me. You know, it's one thing to check off on of my list. Yep, got that done today. But as soon as I leave my mat, or maybe they're still experiencing that while they're on their mat, but as soon as I leave my mat, all of the pressures of life come back on me. So yes, it's nice to have the five minutes of meditation or that hour of yoga where I can you know, have a break from the anxieties and and the pressure that that is on me. But then for the rest of the day, I'm still back in that state. And this this is what needs to shift, Dr. Kieran, because for all the time that our body is in either that sympathetic state or the overwhelmed state, that is what is the message being given to all the other systems in our body. And so if that's the main message that it's getting throughout the whole day, and I would say for some of us, even while we sleep, because we're not even supporting our bodies and what they need to sleep and feel safe while we're sleeping, That's 23 hours out of the day that it's getting this message of, nope, we're in danger. We don't know if we're going to be able to do this thing called life. Life stresses us out. Life may be overwhelming. We can't let our guard down. So it's going to be impossible then to shift out of the chronic health conditions that came out of that until we can shift the state of our nervous system into parasympathetic and get it to stay there, right? <laughs> Not just shift it when we're in yoga, but actually get it to be able to stay there so that we are consistently in a state of calm aliveness and parasympathetic. Okay. And I want to come back to that. Cause I know
0: everyone's thinking, well, how do I do that? So how do we'll I do that? that. <laughs> and you mentioned addiction yes. and we've got to cover that because Although most of the women I work with and encounter don't have overt addictions, and even back oh just over 10 years ago when I was in that state of overwhelm, freeze state, yes. I used various, now I know they were addictions, to cope. I yes. had coffee, caffeine in the morning, I call them the midlife woman's bookends, caffeine in the yes. morning and red wine yes. at night. Yep. And then my cookies, right? Because I deserve yep. them because I'm so stressed out. Or my little dove chocolate. You know what I mean? You see those commercials. That was me watching TV, probably more than I
1: should. Yep. Right. Things like that. So how what is yep. a role does addiction play in this? Ah, uh, you are touching on one of the favorite things that I get to talk about because this is what most of us do. And that was me as well. And so what happens is that we get into this state where we go back and forth between overwhelm and sympathetic and stress. So we go back and forth between chronic freeze. And by freeze, let me just clarify, like freeze does not mean that you're standing there frozen and can't talk. Freeze means that you have been overwhelmed and you have gone into this low energy state. You can still function. I have lived for years in a chronic freeze state, just going through, right? There's just kind of like emotional flat line. But what happens is that when we go into the freeze, we go into the freeze because of such high anxiety about not being able to make life, not being able to figure out life, not being able to do life in the way that we had wanted to do. And so there's such high anxiety that leads to that chronic freeze. When we come out of the freeze, we go right back into that high anxiety And that's our opportunity to process that and work with it and understand it and get it manageable. But since many of us don't have those skills or understand what's going on, we go back and forth between the two. And so what happens is that we're in this freeze state, low energy state. And in order to get anything done, we have to caffeinate ourselves. We have to get our stress levels up. We have to get our adrenaline high enough to pull us out of that low energy state long enough to go through our day, meet the deadline, go to the meeting, get the kids fed, get them to the soccer game, and we come home and what do we do? We then go right back into the collapse and we we numb out right like we zone out we numb out we check out those are all kind of words that are associated with this overwhelm state we turn on the tv and we just kind of sit there <laughs> right Whether we're actually watching it or not, like our minds maybe somewhere else, we're zoned out, right? We're not actually fully present to our surroundings and that's how we know that we're in that chronic functional state. And then we grab for the alcohol, we grab the chocolate, we grab the food, we grab for exercise. There's so many things that we use that could be considered addictions when you look at it in that light that are coping mechanisms to help create a state of uh, survival for us and helping us get through. Now, obviously those end up having, uh, ooh, like consequences to our health and our life that we don't want, right? but this is where the nervous system as i was saying before has become so skilled at keeping us alive and getting us through life that it will do this automatically without us even realizing that i'm using the tv to zone out that i'm using the alcohol to just you know go into that ah i don't care right like I'm not going to care about that as much. Food is a big one just because the vagus nerve is key here. And I don't know how many people are familiar with the polyvagal theory, but the vagus nerve is right there in this. And when our body gets to that point of overwhelm, it triggers a nucleus in the brainstem. That's the dorsal vagus nucleus. And that's what communicates to the rest of the body. Oh, we're shutting down. We are going into that collapse. We're going into that low energy state where we're going to disconnect from our bodies. We're going to zone out because it's, it's too much to feel all of this. And the vagus nerve runs right behind our esophagus and then it reaches the stomach and it spreads out in those crow's feet that we learned about in medical school, right? <laughs> and so eating, drinking, anything down the esophagus, feeling up the stomach is one of the primary ways that we can directly soothe ourselves and stimulate this feeling of numbing out, numbing emotions, numbing the intensity of anxiety, numbing the intensity of really any emotion, even grief and sadness, anger. Anger is a big one that people tend to use food in order to just bring down that level of anger because they either don't like, they're afraid of what they would say to somebody, they're afraid of what they would do, and then you know break up relationships or whatever. And so that vagus nerve stimulation through eating has been a big way for many people to kind of put themselves in this free state in order to disconnect from their bodies.
0: This is such good, important information. Thank you for sharing this. And oh my gosh, I have a million questions that I'm thinking I know people who would want to ask you. So that's huge. We'll be right back after this short message from our sponsor. Hey there, it's Dr. Kieran. I'm just wondering how long you're going to go with those unbalanced hormones. I mean, you told me during the Stop the Menopause Madness Summit that you couldn't take it anymore. So where have you been? Since the summit, Deb M has already balanced her hormones, gotten to her goal weight, and is looking forward to wearing her bathing suit on the beach this summer. And Carrie, who hadn't been able to lose even five pounds in the past 10 years, has now lost an amazing 15 pounds and is feeling and looking great. Not to mention, she's sleeping better and her mood has improved. Erin, Ashley, Deb C., and so many more are already enjoying the benefits of having balanced hormones. And I'm wondering if you could use some help finding out your personal hormone levels and knowing exactly what to do to balance your hormones so that you can lose weight, regain energy, balance your moods, feel sexy and confident, look great and master midlife or whatever you want to do. Know that all health begins with balanced hormones. Everything you want in life begins here and nothing good website. Like. Ever comes from tolerating hormone imbalances. We're launching the Hormone Balance Mastermind again this July, so don't wait. Space is limited, and it will be months before we run this program again. Go to www.midlifemetabolisminstitute.com to apply for the program or get on the early bird wait list so that as soon as registration opens, you can can be the first to apply and secure your spot. If you've had enough and you wanna find out how good life can be once your hormones are balanced, I know I'll see you there. Talk to you soon. And we're back. I guess a big issue is I always say that labels are kind of not as important as we make them, And I say, you know, it doesn't matter if you call it menopause, perimenopause, premenopause, what matters is what your hormone levels are. That's what matters because that's the effect you're going to see. But I find people are very attached to those labels. Am I in menopause? Am I not in menopause? No, what matters is what are your hormone levels? And it's the same with this addiction issue. I try to talk to people. I remember once I had a client I was working with and she kept compulsively kind of eating sugar and candy and it kept knocking off her program and her cortisol and she couldn't get her hormones balanced because she kept eating these things. And I, I had a talk with her and I mentioned that, well, the definition of an addiction is any behavior that you do repeatedly that you can't stop. Or once you start, you can't stop. And it has adverse consequences. And she was extremely offended and uh, promptly said, well, I'm not going to work with you anymore because you said that. So can you help people? So that she was upset by the label. Yep. So I'm very careful about, you know, we women at Midlife with what you just described, the caffeine in the morning, the alcohol at night, the TV, all the things, that was me for sure. And I say that I had addictions to these things, right? I was using them in an addictive manner. But can you help women understand, you know, what the issues are and do they, because I know now everyone's getting upset about the label and they're like, oh my God, is she saying I'm an addict, right? (laughs) So can you help them navigate this?
1: Yes. And this is where I, I love this work because it, we do. We get to step away from the labels. I don't care the label. I really right. don't care. The right. label is not actually helpful because it puts you in a box that may not be the box that you're really supposed to be in. And it's really more of a spectrum than a box. And for those people who do like that box, that actually is a trauma pattern where they feel that they need that level of definition and clarity and control. And so that's that's one of the the trauma patterns that I talk about in the actually the the trauma body types that people can have. So when oh, we we're look- gonna have
0: to get into that now. So <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna have to talk about that next. Okay, go ahead.
1: So when we look at it in terms of the nervous system, Dr. Karen, we can look at it in terms of how dysregulated is your nervous system. And dysregulation is a word that may not be a common word that people use. It's very commonly used in places like some of the trauma therapies, especially some of the body-based trauma therapies, somatic experiencing, neuroaffective touch, and It's this measure of how many imbalances are there in your nervous system. How long can you stay in that parasympathetic, healthy, I'm feeling secure, I'm feeling safe, I'm in a great place in terms of physical health, mental health, emotional health. How long are you in that? That is what we would call a regulated state. And it's never a flat line, right? Because we can have, you know, like little excitements during the day, little stressors, right? But we stay in what we call a window of tolerance. And as long as you're able to do that, your nervous system is able to do that, you are very regulated. And so if we look at it on a spectrum, regulation would be on one side of that spectrum. And that's where we want to be as women, especially going into midlife stuff, because that's where you are going to be the healthiest, physically healthiest on a cellular level. I don't care what physical symptom or condition you have, if you are not regulated, it will make that worse. It will make your symptoms worse. It will make it harder for you to get back to a place of health because of the influence of the nervous system on every single other system in the body. So no matter where you are, the more regulated you can bring your nervous system, the healthier you are going to be. So then when we look at dysregulation, we can see, well, how dysregulated are you, right? Is it all the time? Is it so chaotic that you can't function, that you can't go to work, that you can't even get through your day? You can't even get out of bed, perhaps? That's on the far end of that spectrum, right? PTSD, bipolar, like these types of symptoms that people can have are on the farther end of that spectrum of dysregulation. And so when we look at it as a spectrum, where's the label of addiction? It could be anywhere, right? Okay. And so it really is a matter of the level of dysregulation that you have in your nervous system dictates the amount of coping skills, adaptive behaviors that you need in order to survive. Because- this is really what it comes down to is the survival. And so it's not a bad thing. And, and boy, did I have years of using food as a maladaptive behavior. I would overeat and I was eating all the wrong stuff. I mean, the right stuff to help me feel better in the moment, <laughs> right? <laughs> the wrong stuff for my nervous system. But then we can really look at that in terms of these behaviors are understandable, In the context of my brain, my nervous system chooses to do those behaviors because it thinks that is how it can best survive my life right now. So then we get to take some of the judgment out of it as well. And we can look at, okay, well, then what do we need to change so that your nervous system doesn't feel like it needs to reach for those maladaptive behaviors?
0: Okay, so we'll just call it coping strategies. Coping and strategies, sure. Right, and it's on a spectrum. It's so it's a totally matter of spectrum, right? Yes. And oh gosh, there was something so important. I was gonna ask you, this information is so good. And I know everybody listening is just eating this up because we women at Midlife, these are a lot of the things that we struggle with. So you said emotional dysregulation. How does someone listening know if they are emotionally dysregulated or not? What, how do yeah. you know that? So
1: this is a really great question, and there's a couple ways we can do this. In the courses that I lead, this is actually where I start people. This is day one of my course, because I need you to be able to know what state are you in right now. I need you to know what state you're in in five minutes from now when I say, hey, check in with your nervous system, what state are you in? And there's only three states of the nervous system. There's that regulated state, the parasympathetic, calm, and alive. There's the sympathetic and stressed, or there's the overwhelm, collapse, and freeze. That's it. Those are your three options. And there are distinct sensations in your body that are associated with each one of those. So it makes it relatively simple, didn't say easy, relatively simple to then be able to identify Based on what's going on in your body, perhaps even some of the thoughts that you're having, some of the emotions that you're having, what state of your nervous system you are in in each moment that you decide to check in with that. So if you're in that middle regulated state, this is where you're probably like you and me right now, right? Like we're calm, we're feeling secure, we're feeling good, we're connecting, we're having an excited conversation. So mm-hmm. it's it's not like we're so calm that we're sleeping, okay. right? Right. But it's it's calm and yet very alive and creative and collaborative and connected. So that's the state that you are in when you are parasympathetic. If you're in sympathetic, this is where your heart is racing. This is where you might even have some sweats, some clammy hands. You will have the anxiety type of thoughts. So there's those types of sensations that are part of the sympathetic. Your thoughts, again, like your thoughts and your emotions will feel more anxious and, di- and distressed. If you're in the overwhelm, you're gonna feel the collapse. And I don't often phew, tell people to do this because it can be quite strong, but if people want to just kind of lean their head down, let their shoulders come down and go into that collapse posture, it's almost like a posture of shame shame and exhaustion, and then pull out of it because I don't want I don't want people to be there too long because <laughs> it can trigger quite a bit. But that's what it feels like to be in that overwhelmed state. So anything where there's just this, ugh, that collapse, that's the um. overwhelmed state. So it very much is based on the different sensations on how your body feels and the thoughts. The thoughts that a person would have in that state would be, I can't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm done. I'm exhausted. So- sometimes it's helpful to even use our thoughts to know what state am I in. Now, I don't want them to just try to change their thoughts because changing their thoughts isn't going to change the state. Changing the state will change their thoughts. So the thoughts are just a marker for which state they're in.
0: This is so good. So (laughs) the question I have that's coming up right now is, I work with women a lot with the, their heart rate variability, which is a, such a sensitive marker. And I actually use an app with them where they get their high and low frequency. So their sympathetic and parasympathetic levels and they get these numbers. And I have some women, Dr. Amy, like less than a hundred total power and it should be 10,000. Yeah. And so does it, I'm assuming this regulates to the, I mean, sorry, corresponds to the emotional regulation.
1: Absolutely. Yes. And with the heart rate variability, it's something that I measure as well. I've got my aura ring, so I track that myself for everything that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And with that heart rate variability, you're going to see it at its best, at its optimal level when you're parasympathetic, when you're in that calm and alive state. When you shift into sympathetic, right, that heart rate variability goes down. Yeah. And after that, though, there's not a great distinction between sympathetic and overwhelm for the heart rate variability. That's the one thing that I'm still playing around with and doing research on some of my patients and clients is seeing, can we really differentiate on the heart rate variability between the two dysregulated states, or is heart rate variability still only something that we can know whether you're regulated or dysregulated, but not being able to separate the two dysregulated states? I don't know yet. I'll get back to you on that.
0: Yeah, (laughs) definitely get back to us on that. You mentioned trauma body types. I got to ask about that.
1: What is that? So we each have different biology that comes from trauma. And the great thing, the great thing, right? The great thing about trauma, Dr. Karen. (laughs) The great thing about trauma. (laughs) Is that it is very, very predictable in its effects on the body. And most people still think of trauma as being psychological. And this is where we really get stuck in our trauma recovery process because it is the last thing that is that is psychological. We only recognize the psychology piece because we're only paying attention to our thoughts. We're mostly living in our heads, right? So we're, we're only aware of those darn thoughts that we want to change, not realizing that that's just the tip of the iceberg. There is so much that's going on in the body, and there are specific biology types that come from different types of trauma and also different types of genetics that a person may have. So I know that we don't have time to explore this as much today, but there are actually genetic and epigenetic conditions, biochemical imbalances that will make a person predisposed to even having trauma in their lifetime, even experiencing childhood as a trauma rather than just as a stress. And so those help differentiate, like if you have those going into a trauma, the consequences, your trauma body Your biology type is going to be different than someone who doesn't have those biochemical imbalances causing and contributing to the trauma. So there's different categories that they're still very predictable. There's a pattern. And that's the cool thing is that there is a pattern of how trauma is going to affect your body. And we actually look at what are the symptoms that you're having now to be able to categorize which trauma body type you are.
0: Yeah. And uh, along the lines of the genetics, I've done some genetic studies over the years. And when I found out that I was MTHFR, I had defects in that. And that's what helps you metabolize your stress hormones, your norepinephrine, your epinephrine. And so if you have a defect, you don't metabolize it properly. So when you do get upset, it takes you forever to calm down. And I used to always wonder, why do I get these prolonged upsets when I can't calm down, and it's so it's, it was yeah. genetically programmed, and so just understanding that helps me to deal with it.
1: Yeah, and my guess is that knowing you that you are an undermethylator, and that's oh yeah, methylation yeah. imbalance. <laughs> I don't see you as an overmethylator. I see you as an undermethylator, just like me, just like me. And, and yeah, that is one of the biochemical imbalances that will, especially the undermethylation, it decreases dopamine and serotonin activity. Mm-hmm. So imagine trying to do any type of emotional work or trauma recovery when you are working against low dopamine and serotonin levels. Like, it's going to be like trudging through mud to be able to make changes in your nervous system when that's going on in the background
0: so this is such important information i know everyone is listening and they're like oh my gosh i need help with this so I know it's, we don't have enough time to go through it all. You have some wonderful programs that educate people on this and people are invited to definitely check it out. But can you give us the overview framework? It's not a psychological problem. So going and talking to a therapist for an hour a week for years and years is probably not gonna make a lot of change. So how do people begin to change their
1: biology when it comes to this so that they can change their psychology? The first step is just identifying what biology type you are. Because then that helps us prioritize what are going to be the lowest hanging fruit, what's going to be the things that when we change are going to give you the fastest results and feeling better. And so the first step would be find out your biology type for trauma. And then based off of that, it's going to kind of guide you to do we need to address gut first? Do we need to address brain inflammation? Have you had head injuries? Do you have what we call primed microglia? And that's what's keeping your nervous system stuck in survival mode. Or maybe you have more of the toxins. Maybe you have more of the genetics. I don't know, but we need to know that to know what your path is going to look like for recovery because it's not the same path for everybody. It is based on your trauma biology type. How many trauma biology types are there? I've identified
0: six trauma biology types. Okay, and you talked about the primed microglia. I know we don't have time to go into all of them, and I know you have a quiz for everyone that they can take to help
1: figure this out, but can you just speak briefly to that? Absolutely. So primed microglia. Microglia are the guardian cells for your nervous system. And so you have the nerve cells, they're called a neuron, right? But then you have these glia, these microglia that are around it that are the guardians. They're the protectors. They're the ones who are actually doing all the work to keep keep that nervous system in a safe place because that is your survival system. If you lose your survival system, you really have no chance of, of life. So they play a very critical role. And what happens is that with different exposures to different things, they can actually turn into these massive, out-of-control guardians who are now firing at everybody rather than being able to be strategic and targeted and, ooh, you don't belong here, let me take you out. They're killing a lot of innocent bystanders, creating a lot of inflammation. So some of the things that will trigger a microglial cell to become primed, And go into this massive inflammatory reaction with no regards to anything. Head injuries are a big one. So if a person has had a head concussion in their lifetime, that will be a reason for primed microglia in a certain region related to their head injury. Even things like a lot of gut inflammation, that can, if in the right context, that can cross that blood-brain barrier and can cause priming of the microglia oxygen deprivation. So if there was ever a time where there was not enough oxygen to the brain or to a certain region, that would be a cause for these microglia to be to turn into these, you know other types of of cells and guardians. And then we do know that there are severe emotional stressors that can cause prime microglia as well. And obviously, the earlier that these things may have happened in life, the more consequences there's gonna be over a lifetime because what happens is that once you have the primed microglia, there are specific triggers to activate them again. And so this is something that it's like you actively need to manage the rest of your life because once you prime those microglia, they don't become unprimed. There's only one way to get those unprimed, and that's that's on a very high level. And that's actually through autophagy and fasting, especially that intermittent fasting can be helpful for that. But the prolonged fasting is the, the only way that we know of to unprime primed microglial cells. So otherwise, you're looking at any time that you have a lot of sugar, if your blood sugar levels go really high or go really low, or sleep deprivation, or sensory overload, where maybe you're on your computer too much, or lights, or sounds, or whatever, those are all things that now, now that you have those primed microglia, they will actually reactivate those, they'll send out this massive inflammatory reaction and you're left with brain fog and exhaustion and you're, you know, searching for your words and you're forgetting stuff around the house and you're like, why, you know, I'm having an off day. Well, yes, because you activated those prime microglia, but that can be really frustrating in terms of just trauma recovery and dealing with this stored trauma and this biology of trauma because it's something that will keep coming back and happening and it'll really set you back if you're not aware of it and what you need to do to manage it.
0: Thank you for sharing that. It sounds like we could talk for hours about this. So many questions that I want to ask you that I know people are having right now. I know you've got two great resources, which we're going to tell them about in just a second for free that they can go download. I did want to just kind of give a little general summary because I know some of the information people might be a little bit overwhelmed. So basically, if I'm hearing you right, right, Dr. Amy, pretty much 80% of us have little t-t, traumas that have to do with our attachment to our primary caregivers that sets our survival and stress response systems in an abnormal pattern that will affect our physical health and so until we address that we no no amount of supplements exercise yoga meditation will be able to fix our biology or fix our psychology that is because of our biology and that we've got to figure out our trauma body type, we've got to figure out our attachment type, and really start doing some practices to address these. Am I hearing you right?
1: Yeah, we've got to learn like how to regulate our nervous system to mm-hmm. get it into that calm, alive state and keep it there because that is when we will be our healthiest physically, mentally, and emotionally.
0: Yes. I know you love the quote that I started this episode with, wherever I go, there I am. And can you explain what that means?
1: (laughs) I would love to. So part of my own story, my own journey, because of course, all of the work that I do came out of my own personal journey. And part of that was I got involved in the 12-step recovery groups. And I started attending Al-Anon meetings, never having had an alcoholic or a drug user in my life, but I went to an al on meeting with a friend, and it clicked. It resonated. Dr. Karen, I was sitting in the back of the room, and I was crying, and I had no idea why I was crying. I just knew, like, these people are speaking my experience. So I don't know why, because I don't relate to, you know, the other experiences in their life, but I need to keep coming back. And I did. So that continues to be a part of my life. And one of, one of the many quotes that really hit home for me was, wherever I go— there I am. And prior to that, I had always seen my experiences in life as other people's fault, right? They're doing this to me. Why is this happening to me again? And so this quote really brings it home to me of, I am creating, I am the one that if something is a pattern in my life, it's not because of other people, it's because of me and I am. Get the opportunity to change that and that's really what prompted me doing this nervous system work is realizing until i change my nervous system i'm going to be recreating the same patterns that i've always had subconsciously without even realizing it i need to change my subconscious programming and this is how you do it with changing the state of your nervous system
0: yeah that's been my experience too and i learned a lot from 12-step programs also and really they help you understand that. You are creating every experience you have in your life. And so as long as you're pointing fingers and blame, you have no power. And the, the only way to get your power back is to take responsibility and really look inside for those things that we're talking about that are the subconscious patterns that make you manifest these things over and over again. Thank you so much for sharing this. It's really groundbreaking information. If you are listening to this, you are getting the cutting edge preview of what health is gonna be all about in this century. It is about healing these stress and and survival response systems. It is about healing your subconscious, really taking responsibility and realizing that the energetic, which is your emotional and thought life, really does program your physical, your biology. So you've got some great resources for everyone. You've got the stored trauma quiz and the roadmap for attachment. Do you want to tell them a little bit about each of those? And we're going to have the links in the show notes.
1: Yes. And I also have a whole biology of trauma summit. So that will be another- free resource for people that airs uh, July 19 through 25. And so that is a, a free resource for people, a whole 43 interviews that I have done on guest experts, bringing you this information of solution series for mental health, addictions and burnout. And so I will definitely share the link with you on that so that uh, people can get in on that free resource. And then I have a roadmap for how to address attachment trauma. And again, I use that word attachment trauma. It really is insecure attachment style whatever whatever seems to resonate. If you are recognizing that, hey, yeah, I may have some attachment insecurities, where do I even learn about this? And what do I do about this? I have a roadmap for you. And then I have a quiz that you can take to learn your trauma biology and what would be the first steps for you in starting to change the consequences of trauma on your body.
0: That is amazing, super excited about your summit. And I encourage everyone to attend. This really is where the healing is at right now. So thank you so much, Dr. Amy, for joining me and for sharing this incredibly important information. Thank
1: you, Dr. Karen, appreciate how you show up in the world and the
0: work that you are doing. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it on social media and send it to someone who would benefit from it. If you love the show and really want to support it, please go to iTunes, write a review and subscribe. This helps other women find us so that they too can heal and enjoy brilliant health. I've got a gift for you. If you take a screenshot of your review, Post it on your social media and tag me. I'll send you a special surprise right to your inbox. Thank you so much for joining me. And remember, healing and getting optimally healthy isn't magic. It's science.